0: And joining us now from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, our bird friend. Hey, Al, how's it going?
1: It's going really well. It was interesting to hear uh, the tales about the, I believe it was HUNA was talking about the uh, Alaska Maritime Highway System. And I tell folks here it'd be if they just cut all our highways off and said you can't go by highways. All the highways are closed. And that's the way it is for some of those up there in Alaska. And I just noticed, I'm I'm writing here, I always keep a pencil or pen in my hand. They, I do, I'm a doodler. They're really bad doodles, and they're the same doodles over and over and over again. And I underline things, and if I got a sheet of paper, I'm an O-filler. I fill in the O's <laughs> on it. Yeah, yes. you can tell. There's a lot of us at meetings. So we're sitting at meetings, and we're filling in those O's. I think it helps us think but
0: are you practicing for voting i'm thinking that's like ballot practice to vote (laughs) or something fill in the circle completely right or those uh those standardized tests
1: yeah, and I always think I should stop doing that, but you know, I'm I'm never going to stop, so there's no point trying, but I I always have Ticonderoga number two pencils, and oh. today I have something called a Wexford, which just, it's working fine, but it's a yellow pencil and a uh, number two soft, the kind I like, but it's a Wexford. I don't know, it's, you know, change is hard, but <laughs> here I go, I've got a Wexford. Hmm. I, uh, it's... It's a beautiful day out there today. Oh my goodness! It's like you know spring. I still have a. T- it is. I have a tufted titmouse that's still coming to my feeder regularly, and I'm making sure I'm putting out peanuts for him. And uh, I'm just happy to have his company, and he brightens my day when I see him on the feeder. I have three window feeders, and he is a uh, constant patron of those three window feeders. So uh, I really appreciate him a lot, and I hope he, well, I know he doesn't have a clue, he's just trying to get by, but he doesn't have a clue about how how much he is brightening my day just by showing up and being a beautiful big-eyed little bird. And speaking of big-eyed birds, you sent me an email about, uh, oh, one is, uh, what is the name of the one? A look at fifty common North American dumb birds. Yeah. Effen and birds: a field guide identification. <laughs> and uh, what's the last one? Birds nobody loves. Yeah. A book of vultures and grackles. Well, now and these the are one,
0: these are books, good. Al. That people there that, have, that have, are suggested by a book uh, group called uh, Goodreads, and this one called the Field Guide to uh, to Dumb Birds of North America is one of the wi- the leading ones in the humor category. And it says, A look at 50 common North American dumb birds for those who have a disdain for birds or bird lovers with a sense of humor. It's a snarky illustrated handbook, equal parts profane, funny, and, let's face it, true, featuring 50 common North American birds such as the white-breasted butt nugget. <laughs> and, the, and I can't say it on the radio, but... Uh, uh, canada goose um and it says uh this person identifies all the idiots in your backyard and details exactly why they suck with uh, ink drawings and it says it's accompanied by facts about the bird's annoying call it's dumb migratory pattern it's downright tacky markings and more it says the essential guide to all things wings with migratory maps tips for birding, musings on the avian population, and the ethics of bird watching. Now, they recommend this as like a gift, and that kind of made me sad because I happen to think birds are really neat, and I don't think they're dumb.
1: No, they're um, very smart, and uh, again, there are so many wonderful books out there to read. I I think it'll be quite a while before I get down to those top two, but I would like to... The Birds Nobody Loves, A Book of Vultures and Grackles, sounds like that might be a a good book. And uh, the author says he never ceases to be amazed, and I'm always uh, I love people who are amazed by things. You know, and the other ones uh snarkiness we all do it don't we yeah. i mean there's a twitter thing or facebook or something and we'll put a little snarky comment in there once in a while and but we don't do a whole book about it. I guess is the difference, maybe. And uh, I, uh, I love humor. I, I am, I am just a happy camper today. I got my name in uh, the last month. Got my name in the New Yorker twice. What? And that's uh,
0: tell yeah, me about this. I love this. the New
1: Yorker. Oh, uh, it's cartoons, and you get your name in there. You know, it doesn't say Albat is a wonderful person. He's doing amazing <laughs> things. It just says Albat pretty much. But would still. you describe
0: these cartoons? Because I, I don't get the New Yorker. Sorry, but I don't.
1: Oh, I have no clue. So, oh, you I've don't know. Not, uh, yeah, well, I have the New Yorkers, I have a month's worth here, but I've been gone, so uh, they will not forward them just the New Yorker alone to me when I travel. So I have four of them to read, and uh, but uh, I've heard from folks. that uh, I hear from folks, you get your name in the New Yorker, this is going to sound really odd. You hear from accountants and lawyers, uh, <laughs> and they say... Uh, we work with creative types like you and they, <laughs> you know just contact our office and we'll well, you'll you know you'll never have to spend a dime paying taxes or anything again. Not not really. They don't say that, but they, it's just odd that you hear from all these people and how they can all immediately find your address. And uh, it's it's kind of. Uh, but I am just so happy. I've loved the New Yorker since I was uh, probably a sixteen or seventeen year old, and it's just uh, every time I get my name in there, I. I just I, I never tell anybody till now. I, I don't know that I even tell my wife. So it's uh, I have now I blabbed. I have no no secrets whatsoever now.
0: Now we're all going to go but, out and yeah. check out the New Yorker at the library and search for your your cartoons. I assume. Yeah,
1: please do. Do it's you do the, the
0: uh, Al? Do you do the pictures? You just do the the gags, the the words. Correct.
1: I do, and it's on the table of contents page where it tells about all the wonderful articles that they have in there, and down at the bottom, it'll have a list of uh, contributors, and uh, I will be down there, probably the last guy, I would guess, in that long list of people, but stuff you know better i love just being in on the list anywhere i don't care what position so it just makes uh i wish i had my my mom so i could just run out and say look mom because i i uh, had something <laughs> in playboy magazine once that what? i'd written and oh. yeah she was and it was clean and everything it wasn't because they they accepted a lot of other things but Mom wasn't quite so excited about that as I was (laughs) at the time, I remember, but uh, this one she would would be, and I wish she was still around so I could share that with her. But on the books, I would never uh, tell anybody not to buy a book and not to enjoy a book, and we all like different things. So that's what makes us a wonderful world, is the, the, that we all think about things differently. And uh, if you want one of those books, you know, more power to you. But I've got a whole list of books here i got to read. And I need to read. And I just finished one. I'm not into uh, mystery or detectives or anything, but i got a John Straley book. It's uh, The Woman Who Married a Bear, and it's based in Sitka, Alaska. And his wife is a whale... Biologist in uh, Sitka, so I I got it because of that, and it was enjoyable. Uh, folks, if you enjoy uh, oh, maybe John Sanford and that sort of uh, thing, I would I'd recommend it. Uh, and I finished it, and I enjoyed it. Um, I probably will go a while now before I'll read another mystery book. Uh, there was a guy who. Uh, Dave Robichaux is the uh, character, there was a a movie, and I can't remember the name of the movie, but Dennis Quaid played the lead character, and it was about... he was a detective who was kind of, you know, we're all those kind of guys that teeter on the edge, whether they're a good guy or a bad guy, and he was one of those. Uh, I was in New Beria, Louisiana, and ran into a fellow by the name of James Lee Burke, and he does all these uh, books. And they, the movies, there was also another movie that starred Tommy Lee Jones. I think Alec Baldwin was in one of them. And oh, if I could name more uh, the names of them. But Dave Robichaux, The Neon Rain, The New Iberia Blues. And he was just a really nice guy. So he gave me a book. Paperback it had like two of his stories in there, and I'm I I really like James Lee Burke. We seem to agree on pretty much everything, but I kind of hope I never run into him again because I haven't read that book. <laughs> and I, he, I'm sure he won't remember giving it to me, but I I won't. I'll, he'll say, "How'd you like that?" And I'll say, "Oh." Man, it was great, you know, and I don't want to lie to him. and You hate saying, well, how many years has it been, and you, you haven't got around to reading it yet, but um, I recommend him, too, because I've talked to so many people. I just say those books are wonderful, James Lee Burke. I am excited about happenings in the Raptor Center at the University of Minnesota, which was established in 1974. And they treat around 1,000 sick or injured raptors each year. They have this wonderful clinic. They train veterinary students and veterinarians from all over the world. And on October 18th, for the first time in the raptor center's 45 years, a nestling barn owl was admitted to the clinic. And this is barn, B-A-R-N. There are few reported barn owl nests in Minnesota, and this nest was found in a barn in Douglas County, making it the northernmost barn owl nest reported in Minnesota in the last 50 years, according to the DNR. The raptor center specializes in the medical care, rehabilitation, and conservation of eagles, hawks, owls, and falcons. They're on uh, Fitch Avenue up in uh, St. Paul so it's just a wonderful place been there a lot of times and if you get a chance folks they will do tours and it is an amazing uh, I I tell everybody it's more of a hospital than a clinic because it, uh, it has a clinic and everything else it's an incredible facility uh, narwhals I love this narwhals they're related to oh, bottlenose dolphins belugas uh, porpoises orcas and narwhals have two teeth and we all know somebody like that has two teeth and in males the more prominent tooth grows into a sword-like spiral tusk up to maybe nine feet long and scientists are unsure of the tusk's purpose, mating rituals perhaps to impress females, to battle rifles, Uh, some study now has said they use as a sensory organ Before the Age of Enlightenment, nervous royals paid enormous sums for magical things they believed would neutralize, expose, or repel poison, because they were always being poisoned. And the most coveted of these things was the unicorn horn, and Vikings, those crafty Vikings, they got narwhal tusks, and they traded them to European traders as unicorn horns. So in medieval times, people believed unicorn horns had magical powers. A cup carved from a unicorn horn not only protected the person drinking from it, it meant that he was never going to be poisoned as long as he drank from that cup. Herman Melville wrote that a narwhal tusk hung in Windsor Castle after being gifted to Queen Elizabeth. Narwhals spend their lives in the Arctic waters of Canada, Greenland, Norway, and Russia so the the vikings could get them they knew what they were but they didn't share that knowledge with the european traders who never got that far north so for many many years vikings had a nice income from uh, dealing in unicorn horns When I was in Sitka, I watched humpback whales in November, and these humpbacks travel nearly nonstop for six to eight weeks to the breeding grounds, with some covering nearly 3,000 miles. About 94% of those in southeast Alaska go to Hawaii the rest to Mexico, and while in those warmer waters, humpbacks mate and give birth, the females are a minimum of eight years old before becoming mothers. I think most of them are like 11, and they live maybe 50 years. They have an 11 and a half month gestation period and they give birth to a single calf that's 10 to 15 feet long at birth, and they give birth every one to three years. And by May, the whales are back in southeast Alaska. It was just an amazing thing to see them. Uh, Peter Orr from Houston, Houston, Minnesota, says, Hal, I typically have cardinals all year. I just feed black oil sunflower with a nearby bird bath. This year, I have no cardinals. What's happening? Um, you know, it could be a uh, a hawk was in the area, there could be all kinds of things going on, maybe a change of habitat. I called a few cardinals in the Houston area and uh, asked them if they knew Peter Orr, and they said they sure did, and I said, would you run up, fly out there? Uh, I heard from Peter, and he said a cardinal showed up. So one of the cardinals, I'm just glad. Birds in the fall, we have this thing called a fall shuffle, where they just move around. They have plenty of food. They don't have to be in a certain place. They have no family ties. They can just travel around. But uh, Peter says one is back, and I hope more will come back. And I'm guessing that this winter he will have his cardinals back again. Uh, Richard maybe of Austin said uh, just had an excited sighting a friend called me to see what birds I was seeing at my feeders still on the phone I went to the window but there were no birds in sight so I wondered if a cooper's hawk was around instead I spotted a northern shrike at the top of the tree it sat there for a couple minutes and then chased a black-capped chickadee out of sight I told him about the sighting about 15 minutes later my friend who lives three blocks away called and said He had a northern shrike in his yard. Same bird, who knows? It was a new yard bird for both of us. So thanks, Dick. Great to hear from you. Uh, Peggy Swenson says she's from Albert Lee and says she still has a young chipping sparrow hanging around, also a white-throated sparrow and Harris's sparrows. Jeffrey, oh, I'm going to go with Saffle, S-A-F-F-L-E. Said for the past two days, a juvenile red-headed woodpecker has been hanging around our feeders. Brownish head with just a bit of red at the back, white lower back and rump. Uh, Jim Knutson of Hartland said bald eagles feeding on a deer. All oh, bald eagles love venison. Uh, Betty Lucas and Rita garanson were down at the Lime Creek Nature Center in Mason City and found a Townsend's solitaire that it's the same area where one was seen a few years ago. And, boy, I, I hear that and see that so often, where birds show up in the same spot. And because uh, they are creatures of habit, uh, just like, oh, let's see, humans. We're creatures of habit. We go to the same places, do the same thing, use the same number two yellow pencil, that sort of thing. So <laughs> they're, just, uh, they're just being alive is what's going on. Uh, Pete Veldman. Of Hollandale, oh, when I was a kid, we'd go over there, take the old pickup over there, and we would fill it up with potatoes because there were all those potatoes and carrot and onion growers when you drive down the road when they were harvesting onions in Hollandale, everybody in the car had a nice cry. Uh, Pete said there were twenty four wild turkeys in his yard a uh, farmer from um, Sleepy Eye area said, I saw a flock of bald eagles circling over my farm. Is that common? Uh, no, it was likely another big bird doing the circling. Uh, the turkey vultures, that's probably what they were, because bald eagles tend to migrate and soar alone. That said, they may follow others to feeding grounds or roofs. But uh, if I had to guess, which I do, I would say you were seeing turkey vultures, which are big birds and are often, often, often mistaken for uh, bald eagles. A uh, listener says, uh, it just says KMSU, uh, comma. Um, Do we really swallow eight spiders a year in our sleep?
0: <laughs> give or take, yeah, right? <laughs>
1: every, yeah, I'll give everybody a minute just to go, ew. I, I don't know what you've been up to, but I haven't been spending time eating spiders. So unless you order spiders on your pizza or you are a professional spider swallower, you have not been swallowing spiders. So, you know, just think about it. If a spider's going to go into our mouth, we have to have an open mouth. So we're sleeping with an open mouth. What does that mean? That means we're snoring like a souped-up Hoover vacuum cleaner. There's no spider going to come near us when we're doing that. We're going to frighten them away. So they're going to say, what's that sound? Let's go jump in that cave. That's not going to happen. So, uh, uh, I, you know, of all the things we have to worry about in life, I would not worry about the number of spiders you're eating because it's just... Uh, You made it this long, you know, you're going to be all right.
0: You know, Al, I can guarantee that I have probably swallowed dozens of bugs. When I'm out in the yard doing something, a lot of times I'll be singing at the top of my lungs, you know, above the the lawnmower or whatever, and every once in a while you get that in the back of your throat, and you know that you can't get it out, so it's like, well, there we go. Even though I'm a vegetarian, I guess I can honestly say that I've consumed more, probably, insects, and none of them have hurt me, it's just it's just the thought sometimes some of them are depending on their whether they have like a a beetle that's got a harder shell you notice some more so so I you know I, I probably think all of us at one time or another are probably getting bugs and I don't think they they hurt us so I guess what's you know not a big deal.
1: And I've intentionally eaten grubs and grasshoppers and you ants have? and all those things, and yeah, they're pretty good oh, to ooh. be honest. I, really?
0: Not and, wait, uh, have you had chocolate covering on them? Because I could see, you know, then you wouldn't notice them so much. But you,
1: yeah, and I don't, I don't eat chocolate. But a lot of folks that I was <laughs> with had uh, chocolate covered things. And crickets are being uh, uh, thought of as a, a great food product uh, coming around the bend so and i've spent a lot of time on tractor mower and bike and i have eaten an inordinate number of mosquitoes you just can't help but eat mosquitoes they're going to be out there if you yawn or just go hi to somebody you're probably eating a mosquito if you're sailing along on a bicycle or something and i have had multicolored asian lady beetles uh dive into my tea, and I think I have uh, uh, swallowed a couple of those, Uh, makes the tea really, really nasty uh, tasting. But uh, speaking of spiders, I I know somebody will be asking this because I get it every year. Do the hedge apples sold in supermarkets really repel spiders? Because every supermarket will have these. Mm -hmm. They'll call them by different names, but they're hedge apples. And they do repel spiders if you throw the hedge apples at the <laughs> spiders. So if you want to take them home and say, there's a spider, and toss one at them, yeah, they do work that. Uh <laughs> I have been in Kansas and places the a, a hedge apple is a fruit of the Osage orange tree, and it wards off no spiders. How do I know spiders <laughs> live in those trees and they build webs on the fallen fruit so if it repelled them it, boy, it didn't last very long so uh save your money uh buy yourself a i don't know candy bar or something just uh i i I don't know do they there at least are some?
0: Al, do they at least smell good? I mean, there must be some purpose for. I mean, obviously they're not repelling spiders. So if you buy them, do you get any benefit? Or I mean, they're kind of ugly, actually. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I see some of them call them ugly fruit, which is yeah. uh, probably not a proper name because there's another uh, edible fruit I yes. believe called an ugly fruit, and you wouldn't want to eat these things. And people will put them around the uh, outside, the foundation of their house. And there is some that says if you can get the juice out of it, and uh, I don't make, I forget what you have to add to it, but you can spray it, and it will probably repel some insects to a. a probably a small degree but it doesn't work on spiders i don't know maybe a conversation piece is what they are or um, we can become one of the tribe by buying buying hedge apples maybe if everybody in your family's bought a hedge apple by all means buy one so at thanksgiving you can sit around and and talk about the hedge apples cuz you know at thanksgiving talking about hedge apples is much better than talking about politics around the thanksgiving table it just hedge apples are are, are a much better thing cuz everybody it Well, they're going to think you're an idiot either way, probably, if you talk about hedge apples or politics, but I I can't think of anything uh, good about hedge apples, Uh, I really can't, other than it makes a little money for your local supermarket, so that's probably the, the only good thing there. A little boy asked, he said, why do owls need to turn their heads all the way around? And then, of course, he tried to turn his head all the (laughs) way around. It, It didn't work, but he made a really good effort. Owls cannot rotate their heads all the way around. Uh, they can rotate their heads 270 degrees, and please don't try that. Even if you are a little boy, nothing good will come out of that. 270 degrees. And why do they need to do that? It's because their eyes are fixed in the sockets. And I was looking at some photos I'd taken of a, uh, uh, a some of the owls, and I, the great gray owl, the look on their eyes. They just bore a hole through you. And I took pictures of this when I was perched in a tree, and it just it followed me. The head just kept turning as I moved, because it can't look off to the side like we can. Its got to its eyes are just fixed right in a place there. So, but it, oh, what a beautiful! It just took my breath away. This bird was so incredibly beautiful. I just I I told it too. I I whispered to it because I didn't want to alarm it anyway but i said you are one handsome bird you probably know that and it, it just didn't acknowledge anything because i think um gray gray owls are not only beautiful they're probably humble as well at least that's what i think it is but it was it was great seeing that we had deer triplets in the yard and somebody asked uh, how many deer give birth to triplets you know, it's really neat seeing Ma out there with the three young ones. The number of fawns a doe has depends on probably three things, age, nutrition, and genetics. Most does have a single fawn the first time they give birth, which makes sense. Boy, you have poor young doe and you give birth the triplets right away? Oh, that would be brutal. <laughs> so they get one the first time. Mature does commonly give birth to twins but under favorable circumstances, they could produce triplets. Mm. And one study indicated that the proportion of triplets in free-range deer could be as high as 14% with proper nutrition, but things aren't always perfect. So I would think actual numbers would certainly be varied, but would be lower than that 14%. That would be under just ideal conditions. And I bet in uh, some of the deer farms and things, uh, triplet numbers are pretty high there because of the feed they get and everything. But it's uh, really neat. Uh, It seems like when I was a kid, it was something, boy, if you talk to somebody that's seen triplets, oh, you wanted to run over there and see them. And now... You know, I talk to a lot of people, and and I see photos that people have sent me saying, hey, look, triplets. So it's neat to see those. Uh, Some things to look for real quick here uh, this time of year. Um, I would look for short-tailed weasels, if you can see them. They're ermine now because they're white except for the black tail tips. Uh, Tundra swans have been congregating on the Mississippi River south of Brownsville in migration from nesting territories in northern Canada to their wintering grounds on Chesapeake Bay. Uh, Flocks of cedar waxwings will come in and feed on your crab apples. uh, Burdocks. They brandish weapons, uh, burrs. Uh, steam fog will be forming when cold air drifts across relative warm water. It's also called water smoke. That's what I called it when I was a kid. I just I was so clever. I thought water smoke, <laughs> and I'm sure everybody else has been calling it that for years.
0: And there's a song about it, too. Smoke on the water. Da-da-da. Smoke on the water. <laughs> there you go. Yep.
1: Uh, the stars are out all day because they're in the winter plumage of European starlings, so there's glossy, speckled feathers with white tips resembling stars. And they have black bills now, and during the breeding season, they have yellow bills. So a lot of things change, and I hope you all come to the cafe today, where the food chain is missing a few links, A special as always the Heimlich Maneuver and Gravy is considered a beverage, and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders, where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet, well, hardly any. I came out of a hotel in Juneau, Alaska, easing around the morning by eating a breakfast apple. Oh, I like apples. It was a Honeycrisp. The hotel had Honeycrisp apples. I was a happy camper. Juneau is a city that looks up to mountains and makes me feel as if a glacier is always watching me. A raven, obviously accustomed to begging from humans, flew close and stared at me. The common raven is our largest songbird so i tossed the apple core to it the raven grabbed it greedily as a bear would snatch the salmon then the cavalry flew in the raven with the fruit held securely in its beak flew off with a dozen other ravens in mad pursuit the ravens were flying That was more than I could save for the plane I'd wanted to be flying in that day. Remember, folks, Heartland is while we're driving past. Uh, Thanks for listening. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. Uh, Everybody do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird.
0: Hey, Al, thank you. And, you know, next week it will be, let's see, Thanksgiving week. So we will still talk to you, and maybe we'll hear about your big Thanksgiving plans. How's that sound?
1: That would be wonderful.
0: All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Always great chatting with our good friend, Al Bat. He is just a great guy, and, you know, he's someone you'd want to have over th- for Thanksgiving dinner because he always has something interesting to say and to talk about, and, you know, he'd be one of those guys that you'd just be a conversationalist. so if there's ever a, a lull in the conversation, you know he'd have something good to say, and keep it, you know, if, if your family wasn't quite getting along, he'd be the guy there that could...